0: Thank you, Aaron and, and Glenn, for giving me the opportunity to speak. And um, thank you, Christian, for adjusting the lights and make it easy for me to see. And um, I still, you know, uh, I still might have to go like this and this. It's not fun, but I need to be able to see my notes, and I need to be able to see you. So, okay, just don't pay attention to the up and down. And I'm thankful for everybody who's prayed for me and encouraged me. And I'm thankful for um, the people who spoke on Hebrews in the last weeks: is Glenn, Aaron, Beverly, Anu, Scott, and John. Your sermons are great, and I referred to them as I was um, preparing this message. I went back and listened to everybody, and so thank you. I know you put a lot into it. Now, God, I want to thank you, and I thank you, Father God. For your profound love for us, you sent Jesus, your beloved son, to this earth. By his sacrificial death, he freed us from the power of the evil one and from our rebellious and destructive, sin-filled ways so that we could have a face-to-face, joyful relationship with you. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Jesus, for relinquishing your position of power and authority in heaven. Dressing yourself in the garment of humanity and showing us what it looks like to live a truly good life. Thank you for taking upon yourself the consequences of our failure to be and do good, practice righteousness, and show mercy. You are powerful, good, just, kind, merciful, forgiving, and holy. Perfect in every way. Risen Lord, you are worthy of our worship. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your ministry to us. You are the one who walks beside us today and speaks the words of Jesus. You are the one who imparts to us the ability to become like Jesus and live as he did, pleasing our Father in heaven in every way and all times. That's what you did. And thank you that you're working that in us. You are the teacher who gives us understanding, the comforter who encourages us, our friend, our guide, and helper. Please direct me as I speak so that I will bring encouragement, and Jesus will be honored and glorified. Amen. Anyway, I'm starting with a story from Jesus' life while he was walking on this earth. Soon after he had met Satan and successfully resisted all his temptations— Jesus returned to Nazareth, his hometown, and read this Old Testament prophetic scriptures. That's the Luke 4.18 one. Yeah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After reading these verses from Isaiah, Jesus said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It must have been wonderful. Now, listen as I read another prophetic Old Testament scripture from the book of Ecclesiastes. This is from the Message Bible. Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you go old and say, Life is not pleasant anymore. Remember him before the light of the sun, moon and stars is so dim to your old eyes and rain clouds continually darken your sky. Remember him before your legs, the guards of your house start to tremble and before your shoulders, the strong man stoop. Remember him before your teeth, your few remaining ones, just uh, stop grinding and before your eyes, the woman looking through the windows, see dimly. Remember him. Before the door to life's opportunities is closed, and the sound of work fades, now you rise at the first chirping of the birds, but then all their sounds will grow faint. Remember him before you become fearful of falling and worry about danger in the streets. Before your hair turns white, remember him before you near the grave. Yes, remember your creator now while you are young. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your, eye, in your hearing, okay? Though I can no longer hear the sounds of the birds, my vision is blurry, my legs sometimes tremble, and my hair is not only white but falling out. I do have most white teeth. <laughs> and my body is aging. I remember Jesus. And I hope you at least think some humor in that. <laughs> I do. I'm here to testify of him, to tell what I remember about Jesus in my lifelong journey to discover who he is, who I am, and what I'm here for. I'm here to speak of his righteousness, his faithfulness, his goodness, kindness, mercy, and forgiveness. Through the storms of life, he has been my rock. In times when my faith has been weak, during times when I had none at all, through times when I've been slipping and falling, he's been my rock. When I could not hold fast to him, he's held fast to me through the decades of my life i've discovered who jesus is and i'm learning more about him all the time because we never can stop learning about jesus because he's so amazing he, don't ever think you're going to know him all it's like keep searching for jesus all your life as glenn pointed out in our study of hebrews this book was written to a community of Jews who knew Jesus. They were thinking about sending him back and returning to their Jewish faith, even though they recognized their old way was inadequate for a life pleasing to God. The author of Hebrews tells us to remember Jesus. As Aaron emphasized, we don't know Jesus very well. We also will be tempted to quit him. If we don't know him well, we will be tempted to you know, quit And we do not get to know Jesus very well just by reading about him. We only know Jesus well as we spend time with him, listen to him, and do what he's designed us and called us to do. The thing called God's will. And I'll say more about that later. When I met my husband, John, I was impressed by his love and commitment to Jesus, and I still am. Although I admire him, I did not know him very well. After almost 56 years of marriage, I know him very well. And I think I know who he really is. The same is true for getting to know Jesus well. It takes a a lot of walking and talking with him. My curiosity about God and journey to discover him began in early life. I grew up in a very humble country home. During some of those years, my family lived without electricity or indoor plumbing, without television, without the internet, information about the outside world was limited to static and unpredictable radio signals. I imagined those stars were windows through which God was looking at me when I looked up the sky and saw the brightness. Well, sometimes that made me feel really safe. At other times, it made me feel uneasy. My parents took me to church. Every Sunday, I learned and sang, Jesus loves me, this I know. Yet in the deep recesses of my heart, I wasn't so sure he loved me. At church, we also sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, holiness meant perfection. Well, I was a pretty good child, but most of the time anyway, keeping the rules. But I knew I wasn't perfect. I wasn't sure about Jesus. Who was he? A harsh judge who demanded perfection or a gentle and loving savior who offered forgiveness? I found out he's the latter. So I continued going to church in my preteen years. I felt like something was missing. One summer. Some traveling home missionaries visited my area. They went from house to house, inviting parents to send their children to a week of vacation Bible school. It was summertime, and it would be great to get away from doing chores for a while. So, with my parents' permission, I went off to vacation Bible school. There, I listened to many stories about Jesus. The Bible had never been presented to me in such an interesting way. I started reading it every day. I even began memorizing verses. Part of my motivation might have been rewards the missionaries offered. The reward for memorizing 250 scripture verses was a week at Lakeshore summer camp free of charge. I want to tell you there's something much greater than a free week at summer camp. (laughs) And you know, and that's getting to know Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to, while it's easier to memorize those verses, but don't just put them in your mind, work them, talk to Jesus about them, T- ask him questions about the scriptures. He'll show you, the Holy Spirit will show you, and you'll be so glad because when you get to be my age, then he, the Holy Spirit will remind you of those verses that you, that you memorize. It's wonderful. Well, a kind youth worker told me what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus. So I thought, maybe this is what I need. And so I did accept Jesus' offer of salvation, and I determined I would serve him for the rest of my life. I wanted to do something great for him. And I started reading biographies, especially missionary biographies, During my senior year of high school, I heard about the death of five missionaries who, while befriending native Ecuadorians with a desire to introduce them to Jesus, had been murdered. One of them was Jim Elliott. And if you want to read a good story, read his story. I decided I'd go to a Christian college and prepare myself to become a missionary. I assumed this was the great thing God was calling me to do. Well... During the fall missions conference, I'm sitting at a chapel service. The speaker reviews the story of these five missionaries. He shows the pictures of them and their families. And then he says, who will take your place? And I feel excited. My heart is pounding. I sit on the edge of my seat. Like a dog waiting for her trainer to shout, fetch. I'm ready to race down that aisle. The next words I hear are, I want all the young men in this service who will go to the mission field to stand up and move forward. A surge of male students fills the aisle. I feel indignant. (laughs) Tears sting my eyes. I hold myself back. I want to shout. What? Who? Wait a minute. You forgot about women. I'm a woman. You left me out. It's not fair. Well, God does not leave me out. God does not leave anyone out. So anyone who because of your gender, color, skin, skin, color, age, position in society, health, or any other reason have felt or do feel left out. Jesus loves you. He's not left you out. He has a purpose for you. You are his creation. You're designed to fulfill his good purpose. And doing so. Refuel his glory and greatness, and find joy. Well, back to my stormy. <clears throat> I was determined not to be left out. I loved Jesus. I wanted to do something great for God. Much later, I found out that we cannot do anything great for God, we can only do something great with God. He designs us so we are equipped to accomplish his good purposes in a way that brings us joy. As well as him. In doing his will, following him during our lifelong journey, we also are designed to bless others. It's not just for feeling good. Most importantly, we honor Jesus. In my desire and determination to do something great, I decided, well, I'll become a medical missionary. That was okay for women. And so I did get admitted to my large state university, And um, I started taking the pre-made courses. Um, But while I was in the Christian college, before I transferred, I had a teacher who was a daughter of missionaries in China. She was intelligent and sensitive. She did expect her students to work. But she was full of grace. She didn't put anyone down. And she displayed great patience. She often shared the words of a song or a poem. One day, she read these words of a hymn. Not all the blood of beasts of Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away. A sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. When I heard these words, tears filled my eyes. I felt both a deep sadness and a deep longing. What are these feelings about, I wonder? The words of this hymn illustrate the truth of the scripture we're studying today. So let's read the first four verses of Hebrews 10. For since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. What did the Old Testament animal sacrifices remind people of? Their guilt. Well, what it must have been like to live back then, and to come year after year and have your sacrifice, and always hear, not you know, in your mind and be reminded by the sacrifice that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm, a sinner. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Well, what would it be like to internalize this message? To possess a condemning conscience that night and day shouts, guilty, guilty, guilty. A condemning conscience develops out of self-made demand perfection, which is a consequence of living under legalism instead of grace. And I know quite a bit about that. It was very frustrating. It's maddening. And... Anu clearly pointed out that condemnation cannot come. It can come from both our condemning conscience, but also from Satan. He is an accuser, and the book of Job describes how vicious he is. So there's those two areas that both we need uh, to understand how to deal with. We can't just blame everything on Satan. We make choices. In her insightful p- message. Beverly shared how being sanctified is a process. Part of that process is is renewing of our conscience so that it functions under the direction of the Holy Spirit instead of legalistic perfection. As I meditated on this scripture that speaks about no longer having any consciousness of sins, the Holy Spirit reminded me of how as a child and young teen I learned to view taking communion or the Lord's Supper. I knelt at the railing in front of my church and thought about my sins and guilt. I got up thinking, what a terrible person I was. Oh, is that what the Lord's Supper is for you? I hope not. It's not hope, it's not a reminder of your guilt. If it is, you're living under the shadow of the Old Testament. When we commemorate the Lord's Supper, it's appropriate to confess our sins, but how sad if we stop there and get, go away feeling guilty. Or perhaps thinking we haven't done enough and maybe Jesus didn't do it all. The Lord Supper reminds us Jesus has done enough. By his sacrificial death, he purchased our forgiveness completely. It's all taken care of. We just have it to acknowledge that we need it. And sometimes that's our hard part. When he took Part of the Passover with his disciples before he was about to be crucified, Jesus said, "Do this in remembrance of me." He wants us to remember him, what he accomplished for us, confess our sins, and receive forgiveness. Some of us still do what in his sermon Scott told us not to do: we frame our mistakes and hang them on a picture. It, put it in a picture and hang it on the wall. Not the wall of our house, perhaps, but the wall of our mind. If we insist on remembering his, our sins when he's forgotten them and forgiven them, we insult Jesus. We're actually saying you didn't do enough. It was insufficient, and let's not do that. It's not our job to constantly monitor the condition of our hearts. Constant introspection is deadly. I know because I became adept at it, it's a difficult habit to break. The solution for constant inward focus is learning to focus our eyes on Jesus, not ourselves. Instead of constant self-monitoring, it's much wiser and healthier to pray as David did. In Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. When Jesus, by the gentle voice of the Spirit, shows us our errors, the appropriate response is to agree with his evaluation, confess our failures, change direction, receive forgiveness, give thanks, and move on. And he moves on with us. He takes our hand. And he's there all the time. That's what I found out. So the next scripture verse is uh, Hebrews 10, 5 through 9. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said the above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. <laughs> then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first. In order to establish the second, how was Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross different than the Old Testament sacrifice? First of all, he was without sin. This is what Paul said in his letter to Christians at Corinth. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Another translation says, so we could have the righteousness of God. It's a gift. something he works within us. As we stay with him, he works with us. So we do change. But it's not our self-effort. But he wants our cooperation. He does not work against our will. That's so amazing. And uh, that Jesus came to do God's will. One day while speaking in a bunch of self-righteous law keepers in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. What a fantastic Savior. What an honorable life. What a leader. Now, we can repeat the words of the Lord. Prayer, thy will be done. Many times, while in our hearts, still be intent on doing our will, on proving our worth. We may not even be aware of this intent of our hearts, but God is. That's my story. When I had my, my mindset of becoming a medical missionary, I thought I was pursuing God's will. God knew I was not prepared for that kind of service. <laughs> he saw what I truly was like. He saw what Beverly described as my true self, the one Jesus sees and the one Jesus is retraining to be able to walk free of the drag of the phantom bondage. Jesus saw the hidden to me burden of guilt, fear, anger, pain, and shame. I carried everything that needed his attention before I could do my father's will with a whole heart, delighting in obedience the way Jesus did. Well, for a while... As I pursued getting to know Jesus in my life, things seemed to be fine. Then, toward the end of my first year in medical school, I became deeply depressed. So depressed, it was necessary for me to take a, a year's medical leave of absence. Well, during this time, God led me to a counselor who gradually helped me discover the emotions in my heart that I'd cover over. The anger, the loneliness, the fear, and other things. I learned how to recognize these emotions and manage them in a much healthier way. I thought, fine, now I'm great, and my depression lifted. After a year, I felt good enough to return to medical school, and I finished my first year. Summer came. I wanted a break. I spent three months at InterVarsity's Cedar Campus. During my time there, I met with an older woman and shared my story. Well... Maybe God wants you to be a medical missionary, and maybe not, she said. Well, I wasn't too pleased, with her answer, but I kept it as a possibility. In three weeks, I'm scheduled to leave camp and return to medical school. I'm looking forward to that day with a mixture of feelings. Excited about going back to medical school, but a little sadness. Because I believe in a new friend who, in a very short time, I become very close to. Nevertheless, I return to school. And in the middle of September, John, this new friend of mine, pays a visit. He invites me to a return visit to meet his family at Thanksgiving. And then when he asked me to marry him, he said, Well, I'm sure I, can, I would, except you're going to be a medical missionary. God's called you to that. And I said, well, maybe God's not calling me to be a medical missionary after all. <laughs> anyway, you know the rest of the story. <clears throat> I left medical school, married John, and soon after that we moved to Potsdam. <clears throat> We're still here. <clears throat> God's amazing. Now let's look at the scripture in um, 8 through 14 of Hebrews 10. First he said, sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices that can never take away sin. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he is made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. That's the basic um, focus of my message today. What it means, that Christ by one sacrifice has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. It's a little hard to understand what that means sometimes. At least it was for me. And I think it's a a misunderstood verse in the Bible. Because first we get stuck on this perfect word. Okay, We read perfect forever. He has made me perfect forever. And that must mean, well, I'm perfect. It means all I have to do is proclaim I'm a new creation. That's it. And if sin happens to crop up, we don't take any responsibility for it. We blame the devil, a family member, a boss, a teacher, the dog, the cat, whatever is (laughs) around. And we get stuck on perfect in a second way, by assuming God's meaning of the word perfect is the same as ours. Well, without sin, never making a mistake, completely free of fault. That's what Jesus was. But in one sense, there's a clearer definition of the word perfect. It's a Greek word pelios. And Aaron talked a little bit about that. It's in um and John talked to me more about it, but it, the words used by the Greek word is telios, and the words in the Greek dictionary um, that describe it are brought to an its end, finished, lacking nothing necessary to completeness, perfect. In his message covering Hebrews 2, Aaron explained it this way. Telios describes something that is fully adequate for the task for which it was not designed, fully carries out the purpose for which it was designed. In conclusion, perfect as it is used here in Hebrews 10:14 says for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being holy refers to someone who's made fully adequate to carry out their intended purpose. And so he makes us fully adequate to carry out our intended purpose, the purpose that he di- designed us for, the purpose that brings him Glory and the purpose that brings us joy, and the ways that we can bless our others, we we find out how to do that when we walk in this with Jesus, and we he makes increasingly adequate because, well, we're never complete. You know, we are completely broken ever on this earth, but we can grow, and God wants us to grow. There's another problem we have with ten fourteen. Hebrews 10, 14. We don't like the phrase being made. Why? Being made refers to time process, a journey we want instant, right now. Being made means a challenging and sometimes difficult journey. It could involve pain. It requires our attention and energy. We prefer entitlement and ease. Being made Sounds like having something done to us and for us. We prefer doing it by ourselves, without help from anyone, especially God. Being made sounds like slavery. We want freedom. What we don't understand is our loss of freedom. All of scripture is filled with stories of people who, by departing from God, became imperfect and inadequate in every way. Well, we don't become perfect, complete by understanding all the Greek definitions of teleos. We don't become perfect by intellectual knowledge. We become perfect, adequate to do what we're designed to do by connection with Jesus. It's a relationship. Now, it's great to read and learn the scriptures and study, and I'm not against that at all, but the Pharisees did that quite well. Well, they they didn't live it out. They weren't connecting with Jesus. This is what Jesus, his close follower, John, said about him. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become "'Children of God. "'They are reborn, not with a physical birth, "'resulting from human passion or plan, "'but a birth that comes from God. "'So the Word became human and made His home among us. "'He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. "'And we have seen His glory, "'the glory of the Father's one and only Son. "'From His abundance we have all received "'one gracious blessing after another.' For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who himself is God is nearer to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. That's why we need to connect with Jesus. We find out who God is. They're one and the same. Another problem in understanding this concept for one sacrifice he has made perfect forever, those who are being made holy, is our confusion about holiness. Having an inaccurate understanding of holy often causes us to define holiness in a negative way. We might think holiness is living according to a set of rules which forbids us of anything pleasurable. Well, not really wanting to do that it doesn't sound attractive at all and that's not what holiness is my husband explained that holiness is a part of teleos completeness it's included in what we receive as we submit to the process of becoming like jesus holiness includes the fruit of the spirit love joy peace kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control Holiness is living like Jesus did, hating and wickedness and loving righteousness, showing mercy, doing justice, and humbly walking with our Father in heaven. That's from Micah 6.8. This is the way I look at it. God has a fantastic imagination. He dreams of something very beautiful. It's a family composed of people from every race, tribe, and nation. Each person in this family is unique, unlike any other person. Yet, they are united in heart and will, so much so that they live together in perfect peace and unity. Isn't that what we want? They look just like Jesus in that they possess the same kind of character he does, an expression of perfect love. That's who Jesus is. Like Rembrandt or Mozart, God sees the completed picture before it's a reality because he lives outside of time. He knows what he must do to make it a reality. He commits himself to make it happen, and in his mind, it is already done. Existing outside the limit of time, God sees this family as a finished work. The message of Hebrews 10.14 is God is completing in us, his family of believers, what he's already finished. For this us, this means time is required. But it means we can have confidence God is completing what he started. We are in the process of becoming the building family God has finished. But he requires our cooperation. I mean, he doesn't force us. When I arrived in Pasadena on December 30th, 1969, I believed that, well, now I must be a finished work. I'd gone through the process. I'd sorted through these emotions. I was never going to get depressed again. Well, it didn't happen quite that way. After our daughter Laura was born, I had postpartum depression, but it lasted and lasted far longer than I expected. And both John and I were tired and discouraged and confused. This was the early 70s, the days of the Jesus Revolution. We were in the midst of it. Amazing things happened. It really was an amazing time. We got high on Jesus. Many people responded to the invitation to receive Christ. We did see people healed, but we were far from perfect. Anyway, my depression did not go away. So some friends of ours said they believed that well what you need is deliverance and so they offered to send us to Florida to the large charismatic service and receive deliverance. Satan was the problem. Well this was not the right diagnosis for me. And when Jesus on this earth I don't see him casting out devils out of everyone he met. So let's not make it our Go to way of moving. We need to listen to God. We need to hear what He's saying and do what He's saying. I came back in much worse trip, from that trip in much worse shape than when I left. I ended up on antipsychotic medication for six months. We quickly learned, like I said, this wasn't the answer for everyone or everything. Some people, like I was, were so wounded and broken that this kind of ministry can cause increased damage and destruction to the core structure of their wounded soul. And mental illness is something we don't talk about. It's like, we need to. It has many factors. We need to learn how to support those who have struggled inwardly and I did, have, um, I did have friends who knew about my distress and loved and prayed for me. And I'm very grateful for those loving relationships. But I didn't really tell even those people all that was going on. And for the next I did recover. And for the next couple of decades, I seemed to be doing fine. Involved in hospitality, mentoring, teaching, Sunday school doing whatever needed to be done, and just loving people, I found joy. In the mid-80s, New Hope Church, then Koinonia, gave John, me, and our two daughters a six-month sabbatical. We spent the first four months of the year in Monterrey, Mexico, with a missionary friend who pastored a large church. Again, that was a wonderful church, but it wasn't perfect either. But their hospitality was amazing. Their warmth was amazing. They greeted us with the words, "mikasa casa es su casa, meaning, My house is your house. With open arms and open hearts, they welcomed us into their homes. It did not take weeks, months, or years for this to happen. They did not ask for IDs or require FBI clearance. Our church back in Potsdam was welcome, welcoming when we arrived in 1969, but our landlady said to us, "You will find people here are friendly, but it takes time to warm up, okay Well, I was used to that because where I grew up in Wisconsin, same thing okay. Scandinavians can be kind of look around, look around, Do I trust you? Do I talk to you? Who are you? okay? <laughs> our church, okay, motivated when we return from our sabbatical to learn more how to become I myself could become more open and transparent as well as help others. I applied and was accepted by SLU in their graduate program to earn a master's degree in counseling and human development. I spent one semester in working with a counselor at the rehab for those addicted to drugs and alcohol. I became aware not only of the addiction, but also the emotional, mental, physical, and sexual abuse that people suffer. It's all over the place in the world. After graduation, I wanted to learn still more and become still better equipped to help those struggling with these issues. I studied, I read, I visited and took courses and developed offered by a Christian counseling center in Cincinnati, Ohio. I saw an ad for a Christian conference in Minneapolis. It was on the topic of abuse and addiction. I said, I'll learn a lot here. So, said, go ahead. And I flew out a thousand miles from home by myself to Minnesota. Well, guess what? By the time the conference was over, I was back in the hospital, again, with a serious depression. Now, if you listen to my story, don't identify with it too much. Don't think, oh, maybe that's wrong with me because maybe it isn't, Okay. What I thought about would it be one week turned out to be six weeks at the hospital. I could not believe it. I felt desperate. God, I pleaded, what is wrong with me? Why do I experience these unexpected times of depression? Show me what's wrong. There were times during this part of my journey, I was isolated in the psychiatric ward, that I wanted to quit, give up my faith. But Jesus stayed with me. Jesus always stayed with me. He revealed his love for me in such a deep and real way that just thinking about it brings joy, brings tears of joy to my heart. I've gotten to know Jesus much better through these difficult times of an inner struggle. You know, some of us, well, we can see when someone breaks a leg. We can see when someone, you know, uh, is in an accident. We can see when someone's in a wheelchair. We can see if a house burns down. We can see all these things with our eyes. But what we cannot see with our eyes is what's going on inside people. That might be a big battle there. And I hope we will learn to really adequately Wisely and sufficiently, learn to care for this these kind of people with these kinds of struggles. And I I did there again. We did not handle it really well because I don't think anybody really knew why I was gone. It was like, well, shaming. Um, But the people that there were people that loved me. I knew that. Right after about a year after that, and the church was growing, and we were doing fine. Um, moved us off to Roanoke, Virginia. And there he finally did show me the root cause of my depression. He led me to a very compassionate and wise counselor who was able to understand how what happened to me as a young child resulted in reoccurring depression. He listened a lot but never told me what to do. He taught me how to bring my total wounded self to Jesus. Ask Jesus my questions and hear the voice of the spirit. This is what brought healing to my heart. Jesus did. Jesus did. So I've decided I'm going to share this message because if I shame myself For having gone through depression all these years, God doesn't get any glory in that. God gets no glory in that. So I said, okay, I like I revised this sermon about seven times, and I was uh, revising it this morning a little a little bit more, because of course I wanted to be perfect, but I'm not. The journey of becoming perfect like Jesus being transformed so that all our lives display what is called the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control takes a lifetime. And it won't be finished until we leave this earth and meet our Lord face to face. Jesus' faithful disciple wrote, Beloved, we are God's children now, And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know when he appears, we shall be like him, because then we shall see him as he is. Isn't that a wonderful hope? We have that hope, and that causes us to, you know, respond. It causes us to, yes, say yes to Jesus now. For many years, even after I walked with Jesus for a long time, I hung onto the negative messages I'd received and also given to myself. I don't do it very much anymore, but I still sometimes fall there. If you struggle in this way, I hope and pray that you will learn to receive and rest in Jesus' grace. I close with this poem that I wrote 40 years ago, but is still true for today. I haven't reached perfection yet. There are many things still to correct. But I can live contentedly because I know God speaks to me. Perfection is his work, not mine. I have his peace, the Spirit's sign. And with his knowledge, I can grow. I need not fret and struggle so. I'll walk with him obediently. Trust the spirit's work in me. Praise him for his endless grace and sometime, someday, see him face to face. I hope you have that hope in you. You can have it.